Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on Joshua. This is Joshua Part 2. In our first podcast, we learned about Joshua when he was chosen by Moses to be one of the 12 scouts to check out the promised land. They had been in the desert for one year and arrived at the border of the promised land. Moses directed 12 to check out the land that they were about to enter. And we learned it was only Joshua and Caleb who came back with a favorable report about the land that God had promised to them. Because of the people's great lack of faith and God's goodness and faithfulness, the people were left to wander in the desert for 40 years until, as the Bible says, that generation had died and the new generation was ready to trust God and enter the land. Now, during this time of 40 years, Moses had Joshua as his right-hand man, and the people really learned to trust Joshua as a wise and godly leader. So now, once again, 40 years later, we came to the people are just about ready to enter the promised land. And we learned that this time, Joshua sent two spies to check out Jericho before entering it. Now, the spies went to Rahab, the local prostitute, and she proves to not only be a wealth of information, but also a God-fearing woman who knows that the God of the Hebrews is God. So she asked for safety when the Hebrews invade the land in exchange for the safety she provides for the spies by hiding them on her roof from the messengers of the king who saw strangers enter the gate. So they all agree, and our story left off with the two spies returning safely to Joshua with a very favorable report of the land. So now the people are about to cross the Jordan River. Because they're all on the move, the priests of the Levi tribe are told to carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people. And the Bible tells us this is because they're going to a place they've never been before. And this would be a very visible sign for them to kind of follow the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it's the Ark of the Covenant that was their most sacred treasure because it represented to them the presence of God and his power. Do you remember what's inside the Ark? It's the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff. Now, each of these elements were really important to the Hebrew people. Ten Commandments, well, that of course represented God's love for his people and his laws. The manna represented God's faithfulness and care for his people in the wilderness. And Aaron's staff, well, that represented a symbol of the high priest's authority in God's name. Joshua gathers the people and speaks to them right before they're about to embark on this journey. He directs the people to consecrate themselves, which meant that they needed to purify themselves. This would be an act of humility, acknowledging that they're unclean and they're about to witness a great act of God. So they need to get themselves ready. 
acknowledging their sinfulness, they are now able to witness God's greatness. Can you imagine how excited they all had to be? There may have been as many as two million people at this point. This is the land they heard about from their ancestors. Now remember, their parents died in the desert because they did not trust God's goodness. But this group of people are now ready to trust and obey God. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord's going to do amazing things among you. God had promised Joshua that he would be with Joshua just as he was with Moses. Now, Joshua speaks these words to the people as they're about to cross the river. This is in Joshua chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of ites. (laughs) See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, sets foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. I think we're about to witness an awesome miracle. The Bible tells us that the Jordan River was at flood stage. And it says, Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, which we call the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. That's Joshua chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Theologians believe that the Hebrews crossed the Jordan River in the spring, which would have been when the river would have been at its highest. God chose this time for them to cross to show them just how mighty his strength is, and nothing would be impossible for him, not even the mighty floodwaters of the Jordan River. God used a miracle of timing and location to allow his people to cross the river. Just for a second, can you imagine the faith it took for the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to first step into that water? Yet, In order for this miracle to happen, they had to take that first step in faith. God is faithful. How is God prompting you to step out in faith? Most likely, these priests were not alive during the crossing of the Red Sea, yet they had heard about God's great miracle and they trusted him. 
How is God asking you to trust him in your life? According to the website that the world may know, in ancient times, they had an expression to cross the Jordan. And it literally meant to pass through something that stands in your way. Well, certainly the Canaanites, they felt safe because no one in their right mind would cross the river during flood stage. They had a false sense of security because they didn't know or understand the awesome power of God. I have a map of the Jordan River on my website, studentofthebible.com. The Jordan is 156 miles long. It runs pretty much north to south through the Sea of Galilee, and then it finally empties into the Dead Sea. The Golan Heights and the country of Jordan uh, border the river to the east, and what we call the West Bank and Israel are to the west. Now, if the Jordan River sounds familiar to you, that's because it's also the river where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And in fact, my husband and I were also baptized in the Jordan River during our trip to Israel in 2020. Scientists believe at one time, the river flowed at a rate of 1.3 billion cubic meters per year. That's incredibly fast. And I did a little math and it seems like it's about 90 miles an hour. Now, it doesn't run that fast now, but they think it probably did back then. So again, think of the faith it took to step into these flooded waters and fast flowing waters. In fact, the Jordan River is one of the fastest flowing rivers of its size in the world. And they think this is really partly because of the dramatic drop in elevation. You see, the river starts at Mount Hermon, which when we were there in March was covered with snow, and it is often covered with snow. And that's at an elevation of 9,000 feet. And then the river ends at the Dead Sea, which is 1,400 feet below sea level. So you can see how it would at times flow extremely fast. The Bible tells us that they all arrived safely on the other side of the river. And then the Israelites commemorated this miracle by building an altar of 12 stones, which God said, and this is so clever, to take from the middle of the riverbed, basically to prove that the water was not there when they took these rocks. And the 12 would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the priests who were carrying the ark, they're still in the middle of the river until everything that God commanded Joshua to do had been completed. And then they were directed to leave the river. And then the river resumed its flow. The Bible says, No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage. Why did God perform such an awesome miracle? Bible says it was so his people would know it was the hand of the Lord who did this and that his hand is powerful and that they should always fear the Lord their God. As you can well imagine, the news traveled fast and soon all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the river. Oh, can you only imagine what they were thinking? 
You know, many of them worshipped Baal or Baal. And Baal had never done anything like that for them before. The Bible says, upon hearing this news, they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. I'll bet. Hmm. What had the people been eating for these past 40 years? Do you remember? All this time, God had been providing manna for the people to eat and also quail. So the Bible says that once they crossed the Jordan into the promised land and all the men were circumcised and healed, well, they celebrated Passover. Now, Passover, remember, commemorates that great miracle of the angel of death that passed over them while they were still in slavery in Egypt, and it allowed them to escape. Now, the next day, the Bible says, after their Passover celebration, they ate some of the produce of the land, and the manna stopped. Now, many people have wondered if you can still get manna from heaven today. The answer is no. That was a one-time deal. That was a special provision from God. And once they were safely delivered into the promised land, remember, a land metaphorically filled with milk and honey, the manna stopped forever. The people camped at a place called Gilgal. Gilgal is about two miles northeast of Jericho. And this will be their base camp and their temporary center of worship and government for quite a while. It's here Joshua encounters a very strange visitor. This is explained in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Whoa, the commander of the Lord's army? So many questions. Okay, what did this angel look like? What did he sound like? Such an incredible visitor. We next have the Lord telling Joshua that he has delivered Jericho into Joshua's hands, along with their kings and their soldiers. Well, this is incredible news because, as we learned in our last podcast, Jericho is an ancient city. It was built thousands of years before Joshua came on the scene. Its walls were fortified up to 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. You can just imagine the soldiers standing on top of these walls. They could see for miles. Jericho was considered by the Canaanites to be invincible. God's plan was for Joshua's army to strike Jericho first, which, of course, would then place fear in the hearts of all the neighboring cities. It's interesting when we consider the Canaanites. The Bible tells us that they feared the God of Israel because 
They saw him as a nature god because he parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And then they also kind of saw him as a god of war because of their success in defeating Sihon and Og. But they didn't think he was a fortress god. In other words, they didn't think he could prevail against a fortress city. Who could? Ah, they're going to see what a mistake it is to underestimate God. In fact, have you ever been guilty of this? Have you maybe put God in a box assuming that he can only go this far, thinking that your troubles are either too big or too little for God to handle? It's interesting that God assured Joshua that the battle was already won. I can only imagine that this assurance gave Joshua great confidence. You know, we also can have that same confidence because the battle is already won. Satan, our enemy, has been defeated. In the New Testament, Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. He says, No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives Joshua some pretty bizarre and complicated instructions on how to proceed into Jericho. This is such a cool story, and it causes me to think about my own life and its trajectory. Have you ever felt called by God to do something that at the time really made little or no sense? It might not have been in line with your area of comfort or giftedness. And yet, when you listened and followed God's calling, it later fell into place and made perfect sense. Well, that obedience is what we are all called to have. And Joshua had it. He followed God's strange divine instructions. It may have been that God wanted to show that the battle was dependent solely on him and not on man. God's instructions might also have been a true test of faith for the Israelites to see their willingness to follow God completely. God told Joshua to march around the city with all the armed men once a day for six days. He was to have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. Then God said, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and all the people will go up, every man straight in. While Joshua was fulfilling God's commands, Joshua cautioned the people, don't give a war cry. Don't raise your voice. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
they silently circled the city for six days. Can you imagine? Well, what kind of military advice is that? I think it shows what great faith Joshua's soldiers had in him, that they followed him into battle in this bizarre way. And yet, they must have been so scared to enter enemy territory armed with seven priests carrying trumpets? Yikes! Joshua 6, verses 15 through 20 tell us, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go to his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in, and they took the city. The Bible tells us that Joshua sent those two spies to Rahab and brought her out safely along with her family, and they placed her in the camp at Gilgal. We're told that this city, Jericho, was to be dedicated to God, representing God's faithfulness in delivering the city safely into the Israelites' hands. God then demanded that the Israelites destroy almost everyone and everything in this city. This is hard for us to understand, and we'll discuss this more in our next podcast on Joshua, but we need to trust that this was judgment on the people of Jericho because of their wickedness and their intense idolatry. Basically, the Canaanites were a stronghold of rebellion against God, and this could become a stumbling block to the Israelites if they failed to eliminate all threats to the Israelites. God knew that if anything pagan was left, it would later pose a temptation to his people with disastrous results. We actually don't need to wait too long to see what would happen by not removing temptations. Right away, there was a man named Achan, son of Carmi from the tribe of Judah, who took some of the plunder for himself instead of destroying it. You know, when we sin, we aren't just hurting ourselves. I used to tell this to my youth group that no one sins in a closet. Sin spreads. The sin of this man, Achan, affected the entire Israelite community. Joshua sent some men out to fight the people of Ai. That's spelled A-I. And they were routed. Joshua couldn't believe it, and he fell on his face in mourning, and 
he, he was questioning God. Hadn't he had God's assurance that the land would be delivered to them? What happened? Well, this is how God responded. This is Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. God says, The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. While this was just one man's sin, God saw it as a major offense because he needed everyone to be committed to him in order to conquer the land. God wanted to show them that they were all accountable. When one failed to obey, they all failed. God knew that if Achan's sin went unpunished, well, then word would get out and others would be tempted to loot as well. And God could not tolerate this undisciplined disobedience. The results would be disastrous. It's interesting how my NIV study Bible explains Achan's sin because this might seem like a gross overreaction to us. It says, Achan's sin was not merely keeping some of the plunder, but his disobeying God's explicit command to destroy everything connected with Jericho. Achan's sin was indifference to the evil and idolatry of the city. God would not protect the Israelite army again until the sin was removed and the army returned to obeying God without question. God is not content with us doing the right thing some of the time. This is hard, but it's for our own good that he wants us to do right all of the time. We are under his orders to eliminate any thoughts, practices, or possessions that stand in the way of our devotion to him. You know, as we reflect on Joshua, let's pray that we might also have that same measure of faith and courage that it took Joshua to follow the Lord, even when it seemed the odds were against him to cross a raging river or when God's instructions, when pitted against the world's advice, seemed to make no sense. But going into battle with nothing but trumpets in the Ark of the Covenant, and yet, because of his faith, great and miraculous things were accomplished. Just imagine if we could just have a fraction of that faith. For it is said in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Remember the words of Joshua 1.9 as you with God's help move some mountains this week. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, Go be a blessing and move some mountains.